Oh, no. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Notorious Women Podcast. I'm Lavetta. I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Uh-huh. So, oh, <laughs> as soon as we start recording, the trash decides it wants to dump. I can't that? hear it. And as, as I can't hear it, then no one can hear it because everyone is me, right? <laughs> is that like, is that narcissism, like in a nutshell, essentially? Yeah, but you're joking, and there are people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's, I'm very kidding. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, right? If it's not happening to me, if that's not how I respond to it, it's not then, real. Then it's not real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the uh, social landscape of 2023. <laughs> hey, at least listen. At least we put a name to it, right? It's just there's too many people that you know that that could wear that name as a badge. It's a problem. It's a problem. I know. Yeah. It's so interesting. I saw on Twitter like a couple of weeks ago, somebody was like, oh, um, why? No, they were like, if you were uh, like in a, a cell or a room by yourself, you would go crazy after a year. Okay. And I thought, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. You would be fine. Especially after the last like three years of yeah. being with people, like obviously it's the environment if it's a nice, but it made me think of that. You remember the show Monk? I never really watched it, but I remember it. Yes. Oh, I love Monk. Uh, Tony Shalhoub was so great, but I think like I, I didn't remember have like the channel or something. You know? oh, okay. Yeah. I forget yeah. what was it USA maybe, but yeah, I think anyway, so. but there's a meme or, or gif of, of, of his character. He finally finds heaven. Oh, he's in an all white room that's clean and he has a white outfit and he looks he has like a, a look of euphoria on his face <laughs> it's so clean but i always think of that when i saw that on twitter i was like no if i was in like a clean white room where people served me meals and i had quiet and i had books and podcasts i would get so much done Seriously, I would lose my mind. I would go really? crazy. See, oh yeah, I I me. am like an aggressive people person. I, I make friends on the subway, which sometimes no, is problematic. Yeah, mm, mm, not always a good idea, right? But but we have lessons and we learn them. But I would not if you had books and music to listen to. You I could mean, work on all of your Broadway singing routine. That is true. No, that is That's true. what I'm thinking of. I've, I've had those moments where it's a miracle in my life that everyone is out of my house. And I, I win Tonys for the work that I do. <laughs> like not actual Tonys, but like emotional Tonys. And they're all yes. mine. I am yes. so talented when nobody is watching. I would be, no, you're talented when people are watching, but you would I be so you. productive. Yeah. Think about Fishing it. much, Miriam? Yes. Um, no one's interrupting you. That's true. I could write so many scripts. I could write a book. <laughs> I could write a book of poetry and I'm terrible at poetry. Oh yeah. I can't write poetry. I tried. It did not work. <laughs> I could, I would work out. Yeah. I would oh, get yeah. enough sleep. <laughs> 
okay. I probably, yeah. No, I remember. No like, housework? In- no housework? Oh, wait. No housework. You just in a room. Can I bake? With books. You could bake. Yeah, I would like that. Listen, I like distraction, though. Like, this is, although I will say, like, pandemic, like, height of don't go anywhere. You're going to die, right? Like, okay. you're And, <laughs> right. and you had, like you know, our, we had two six-year-olds and each other and in an apartment. And then other people were like, I'm bored and alone. And I thought that sounds so nice. I want to be bored and alone. <laughs> I'm never bored. And you know how I know that I would be okay with this? Cause that's how I was when I was a kid. I oh, got yeah. so much stuff done when people left me the hell alone. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I used to like, I used yeah. to like just like going in my room and like re- like putting a thousand books on the bed and just like reading them. I read all the Jane Austens. I read all yes. the Bronte sisters. I, I read all the Alice Walkers. I read. I didn't discover I started- Alice Walker until I moved to New York and they're $2 books. They used to sell like books on the street all the time. Oh, yeah, $2. Yeah, yeah. And I got the Temple of My Familiar and that became my favorite book forever. I can't remember if i but like and then i was like well we love alice walker um yep. james baldwin i discovered all these people when people left me the hell alone so no i am for a and, year and you know what the, and actually because that first year in new york i really kind of was alone i didn't know a lot of yeah. people and so i would just buy these books on the street i discovered all these authors and i i read a lot yeah i mean if you're in a room with nothing to do then yeah that's boring but if i have books yeah. Are you kidding me? And a pen and paper? Come on. Listen, I was raised to be snooty a little bit. And so <laughs> my my mother, the one thing at the mall she would basically not say no to was from a bookstore if you wanted yeah. books. So we would buy books, buy books, buy books. Well, like I have a house, like, and maybe in the house that I grew up, maybe there were like a little too many books. Like maybe like the library would have been like an no also like me, me huh. anyway so now i live in a house that is smaller and my husband's like listen where where are we gonna put them yeah and i went to the library and i have a dear friend who's a librarian and i'm very embarrassed that i hadn't gotten my library card yet so i went to the library and i i gotta say i was like this is amazing i'm going shopping and it's free yep and then i told that to my librarian friend who just looked like looked at me <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I hear it. I like, I hear it. I'll go now. Yep. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm, I'm think. I think you're more on my end of in my camp when it comes to this being alone for. Um, you think so? Yeah, I'd probably I think so. just text you thoughts about the books, though. Like that's what I would do. And I mean, kept get, you'd get interrupted by my texts. Well, you do have to have like. I think you have to have something to. Uh, distract you but like without people if i have like books and and movies and tv shows come on a year would go by really quickly now you're trying to sell me a good time okay (laughs) (laughs) i guess we should get started on that (laughs) well i believe i am first this week uh and even though we're having a good time, this lady, my notorious woman this week, is not a good time. She's decidedly uh, a bad time. Uh, okay. Okay. She is a, uh, well, you know what? Let me not load the front end of it. Um, okay. Because she is special. Because, again, we are still in 
uh, pride. Uh, we are still in pride and I pride month of June. So we've had some awesome ladies and now we have a not so awesome lady. Uh, and okay, (laughs) let me just get to it. I'm beating around the bush. Okay. Lavetta is back. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. You know, you know, I like a, a bad girl. Yeah. Um, so my notorious woman this week is Anita Bryant. Oh, are you, do you know who that is? Yes. Wait, why? Why do I know who that is? Of course I know who that is. But now I don't know why. Tell me more. Okay. So. Okay. So prepare, prepare. Yes. Anita Bryant was born Anita Jane Bryant on March 25th, 1940 in Barnes Oklahoma to Lenora A. Berry and William Bryant. Now, she was born basically in her uh, grandparents' home because it was 1940s. <laughs> that's right. what people did. Uh, but her family lived mostly in Oklahoma City. So she's known as like an Oklahoma City girl. Okay. Um, now, when she was a young child, her parents divorced. So her father went into the, the army and her mother went to work as a clerk for the, uh, the Air Force Base near their home, in their hometown. Okay. Now, throughout her childhood, she attended elementary school in Seminole um, and Midwest City before graduating from the Will Will Rogers High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She gave her first operetta performance at the age of seven in the first grade uh, and won a talent show, a local talent show. So she became like a local kind of celebrity singing pop and Western songs uh, on a show called The Scotty Harrell Show. Okay. Um, she was basically kind of like a child actor and she was so popular and it went so well. She eventually took over that show and it became a half hour program on Friday night where when she was 12 years old, she was the main attraction. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, and around that time, her family uh, moved to Tulsa full time and she began regularly appearing on Tulsa's KOTV. So, again, she was basically uh, a child actor in the Midwest. You know, she was she was a good looking child. She's she turned out to be a good looking woman, Uh, so much so that her big break came in 1958 at the age of, you know, 17, 18, when she became Miss Tulsa and then Miss Oklahoma. Okay, She was the first runner up in the Miss America pageant. Uh, around that time and began appearing after that on numerous television shows and made an and made uh, and was part of the annual USO tours with Bob Hope. Oh, wow. OK. So you perform with Bob Hope in the 40s. You are doing a, very well. You've like hit jackpot, I would say. Like, you're good. You did it. You, you know, you, you're good. Uh, again, she had poise and beauty. She's a beauty queen, an actual beauty queen. And this success eventually led her to become a pop singer, uh, a bona fide pop singer with a few top 20 hits and a few moderately successful albums over the next decade or so. Okay. So, um, so basically she was just like, you know, kind of like what Hollywood lore like was built on, like, uh, the real America. Right. She's like, you know, she's from the Midwest, but she is, she, she kind of looked like a, a young Jackie O, in a sense. Oh, okay. Um, like that kind of poise and, you know, um, 
you know, the kind of girl that you want your little girls to become, like with the poise and you send them to finishing school. So that sounds to me like that is the kind of girl that every single girl should want to be. Yes. Like, yeah. Like America, right? Yes. During this time, she was an attractive brunette woman. So now in 1960, she married a man by the name of Bob Green. He was a a Miami disc jockey uh, and they eventually raised four children together. Okay. In 1969, she performed the national anthem at the Super Bowl and became a spokesperson for the Florida Citrus Commission and regularly appeared in national and in, in national uh, television commercials singing come to Florida sunshine tree or sometimes our opening uh, line would be a day without orange juice is like a day without sunshine. I so basically she this. was a campaign. She was a campaign lady. Yeah. You know, okay. For Florida orange juice. You got to make a living, I guess. Okay. And you know she made bank. Yeah. You know she made bank. Um, she was also uh, widely recognized in ads for Coca-Cola, Kraft Foods, Holiday Inn, and Tupperware. Okay. Um, in 1973, she sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic uh, during the graveside services for Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, wow. Okay. She famous. Got it. She famous. Like that all-American, you know, maybe not famous to the whole world, but certainly famous in America. So basically, Anita Bryant lived the the, you know, the dream of the girl next door that's done good for herself. Grew up, right. and, you know, she's she seems very lovely and pleasant. Right. Well, yeah. uh, hold on to your pearls. Clutch your pearls a little bit because okay. this woman is a piece of work. So after all of that, you know, there's with these kinds of things, there's always and even with the, the lore of uh, the lore of like the American Midwest, the all American right. da, 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 underneath the surface. Is a tinge of bigotry usually. What? Yes. I, just, I know you're shocked. Shocked, I, just, I say. Where are my other set of pearls? I must clutch both of them now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. God bless America. Yep. I'm going to go now. <laughs> so in 19... 19- 37 in 1977 she's okay. 37 around 37 okay she's, she has done good not bad for a girl who didn't go to college to find a husband right right um she so she's living in dade county florida uh and she's living in florida and you know she's become the spokesperson for florida orange juice all this stuff so in 1977 dade county florida passed an ordinance that prohibited discrimination in employment, housing, and public services on the basis of sexual orientation, race, creed, mm. all of the good things, right? Wait, Sounds Nevada, good. but what mm-hmm. about the straight, white, cisgendered woman? What about her, I ask you? You Sorry. know that her rights are not being taken away. They're just expanding the rights of others, I, right? It's, it's like, like I, my favorite meme is, it's not pie. <laughs> <laughs> like just because we're adding rights it's does not, not mean pie. yours get taken away. I love that the yeah. rights pie. Getting uh, civil rights is not a yeah. pie. It's not nope. Pie. Nope. There's plenty to go around, guys. Yeah. All right. So what? And for she those do? Christians out there who say that they're Christians, it's like the fishes. When Jesus oh, yeah. had to feed all the people, the fishes they just kept coming. It's it's that's how rights are. That's how rights work. So. Oh my God. Just That's so a know. good point. I'm Jewish. I don't know these things, but okay. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. So 
Now, to the normal person, that sounds like progress in America, social progress. No, yes. not to Anita Bryant and her far right friends. I'm exhausted. OK, go on. Go on. So in response to this inclusive law, conservative mm. and religious leaders formed the quote, save our children campaign to raise awareness of the ordinance and made Anita Bryant the president and its public face. Oh, she's just a bitch. Okay. Like, but in the negative way. Because, you know, sometimes you could be a bitch and it's awesome. But no, not here. No, not here. Now, she's used to being spokesperson for something, Florida orange juice, all these other things. Mm Mm-hmm. So along with her duties, she still she appeared in commercials and full page newspaper ads uh, to mm-hmm. raise awareness about the ordinance and the Save Our Children campaign because the children are in danger now. Right. Because we're not going to be mean to gay people. And that's dangerous for children. I see yeah. that now. Yeah. Wait a minute. She I don't see anything <laughs> I mean, just like now, she appeared on like people would appear on podcasts now, podcasts, and, right? Know, and some shows. She appeared on talk shows and religious programs, uh, basically receiving nearly daily updates in the news. And she would often say, "quote As a mother, she would yeah. tell audiences, I know that homosexuals cannot biologically re- reproduce children. Therefore, wow. they must recruit our children." End Wait quote. a minute, I'm confused. So I'm a mother. Am I a scientist now? <laughs> I I didn't know that about myself because all I did was, you know, have children. I did not get a science degree. Okay. Well, I, I this think is news. You, yeah, this is, uh, in this world, uh, motherhood means that you are suddenly filled with uh, scientific knowledge uh, and biological knowledge of truly everything. Truly fascinating. Yeah, okay. Um, basically, I hope all of her children are gay. Okay, go on. <laughs> basically, she became the poster child in many ways for the anti-gay rights movement. For that, assholes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But what was so alarming about it is that, again, this is a beauty queen. So she had this beauty queen looks, this poise. And because this bigotry was being delivered in this, you know, poise package, it was very effective. Yeah gross and recruiting people and getting people in arms because again we've we've established that a lot of people are dumb yeah. uh not our listeners of course our listeners are the most smartest are the smartest ones intelligentest <laughs> most prettiest <laughs> people we're not talking about y'all no. i mean no but a lot obviously, of people obviously not <laughs> we live with a lot of dumb people on this earth so yeah. uh the ordinance was we have each overwhelmingly, other though, guys we have each other okay, we have cool. each other and a lot of people in the world the ordinance was overwhelmingly repealed eventually Ugh. later that year Ugh. and efforts to outlaw discrimination against LGBTQ plus IA people in Florida and the U.S. were would, were basically rejected during this time. Uh. So this is eight years after Stonewall, yeah. you know, the, the, the gay rights movement is still, you know, trying its hardest to get like basic rights that. Yeah straight people have so uh yeah now in return because gay activists are like we ain't gonna take this sitting no. down fuck that yeah. in return gay activists and their allies began boycotting florida orange juice with the support of the iconic activist harvey milk yes uh they called it the gay cot <laughs> <laughs> 
which I love. <laughs> yes. So. And during the gay cot, protesters poured out gallons of orange juice in the streets. Gay bars stopped buying Florida orange juice and bartenders served the quote, Anita Bryant, which was a screwdriver made with apple juice instead of orange. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love it. Funny. <laughs> Buttons and shirts and hats were sold worldwide. Anita Bryant and Florida Orange Juice became the face of became like a, a rallying cry for many activists in the community, in the LGBTQ plus IA community. Oh, so she helped them find a focus. Good job. Yes. I hate her. Yes. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. And again, this what made it so insidious and so effective is because it's being offered this hate. This bigotry is being yeah. offered in such a lovely package. Yeah. And and also just just to give you a little taste of how how insidious it was and her messaging and this messaging was was like, for instance, when she was publicly pied, it's very famous. You can see it on YouTube uh, as a political actor in a television appearance in Iowa uh, in October of 1977. She simply quipped, quote, at least it's a fruit pie. End quote. Making a pun and a derogatory slur or fruit for a gay man. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ew, I hate her. So she's not yelling and looking like a crazy no, person. Exactly. It's like Listen, biting bigotry. What ha what's in the water in Florida? I'm just wondering. I, it's all over the country. Florida's just like... Are, uh, Florida's just not ashamed of it because they, they're not smart enough yeah. to realize they should be ashamed of it. Um, yeah. Now, also... After this act, and she said this quip, she then said, I'm going to pray to God to forgive the activist, quote, for the, his deviant lifestyle. Ew, and then I she hate burst, her. She burst into tears as the cameras continued rolling. Oh, wow. So she, she used white yeah. lady tears. Those white lady tears. This wench. <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm, mm. She had nothing else to do. No, nothing. No. No, she well, had four children. Why don't you check their homework or something? No, it's like it's it's just it's just so hard to just understand why people would take the energy. It's I mean, hate yeah, I feels don't get it. you feel like you are doing something important, I guess. You know, I don't I don't know what it is, but unfortunately the Save Our Children campaign was successful in repealing the ordinance, but it did galvanize um, you know, LGBTQ plus IA leaders and groups. Uh, and again, yeah. like you said, it gave them focus, you yeah. know, um, now it's throughout too, their it's part, too bad they needed it because maybe society was just going to slowly change over, but yeah, you know, and unfortunately because it was successful in one area and then it spread out, um, it, it, it sort of like started the whole sort of conservative backlash, against like yeah. you know uh particularly rights against anybody new but particularly with the gay rights and that sort of like religious religion meets family values messaging yeah. Yeah. that we're so familiar with now it basically started during this time mm. you know again it's, only it's still it's still such it's a problem. still and it's still very powerful because it's also effective yeah. right yeah um Again, it, and it also opened up the floodgates for other conservatives throughout the country to to start galvanizing in a very similar way, which we're still seeing the effects of it now. Like yeah. you said, you know, in in 1977, Florida legislators approved a measure prohibiting gay adoption. Ugh. The ban was eventually overturned 30 years later in 2008. Uh, but 
again, now we're seeing that was 2008, yeah. 2008 is what, uh, 15 years ago, something like that. Yeah. 15. So now we're seeing the new legislation, legislation throughout the country, particularly in Florida, yeah. that is specifically targeting the queer community specifically right and then yeah. now we're getting into the violation of trans rights so now they're using yep. trans uh their bigotry anti-trans bigot bigotry and legislation to again push this kind of narrative that has been effective and that is why we have to be vigilant and fight back yes now i just it's just so bizarre to me and i talk about this like all the time i know i'm a broken record but like yeah like you can think it's weird and you can be like no child or cousin or whoever you are, you cannot be trans. You know, like you could choose to say that to someone else, but like, do you need to change the law? Like, who are they hurting? Who's getting hurt by someone living their truth? Like, it's only making the world a better place. I know that our listeners are like, duh, I agree. But like, it just, I don't know. It befuddles me. Also, I yeah. like the word befuddle. So, you know, I got to say it. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it's it's bigotry. Bigotry makes no yeah, sense because it, it, it usually has to do with other people's just existing. You know, and unfortunately, like I said, this her crusade this 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 crap crusade about children under the guise of protecting children yeah, was effective in florida it's yeah. a lie it's a and lie. it was effective in florida and it also um it spawned a wave of anti-gay anti legislation throughout the country in 1977 that was successful in, in places like minnesota kansas oregon and yes even california yeah yeah. Uh, where so Anita Bryant would often go to like local. Basically, she was like a pre-Trump. <laughs> she would go to local she races and give her approval and endorsement to these bigoted candidates and boost their popularity. Ew, I hate her. Ew, I know. It basically, I mean, when it came down to it, she basically um, it's the playbook that we're seeing now. Right. That's been playing out all these decades later. We're so-called yeah. conservatives and Christians they want to deliver a hateful message and a shit pie with a bow tie and a smile. Yeah. And, and because they're saying it in a nice way mm. or, you know, they have on nice suits and nice dresses and yes. they look like they're proper that they have the moral authority, even though they're mm -hmm. delivering hate. So yep. it's, you know, and it was very, uh, it's very triggering obviously for, uh, the queer community and their allies and you know those who who want to be on the side of justice and, and fair play yeah um and so yeah she yeah she was successful but when she decided to fuck around she eventually found out because the tide started to turn for her okay tell me about uh, this i'm ready she so basically there was there was fallout from her political activism and this hate and because it's bad for business. If it becomes bad for business, then it's just bad. Right. Because right. for their part, the Florida uh, Citrus Commission, they supported her basically in Florida because they could in Florida. But even th throughout the whole campaign, but even at that, even during that time, Art Darling, the company's publicity director, told the Associated Press 
around that time, quote, the whole Anita thing is a mess. No matter what we decide, we're only going to lose. I wish she would just resign, end quote. Oh, wow. So eventually when she became more uh, vulnerable, they eventually canceled her 10-year contract. Good. Bye. You know. Um, now, but what really sparked it was in 1980. So this is around 19, 1977, this whole thing. And so, right. you know, she basically has gone on the, the offensive and she's getting money from these speaking tours and being brought out and da, da, da. She's like living her devil's life. Got it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So in 1980, she and her husband divorced. But that's a sin against God. Ah, so after the divorce, her base uh-huh. of support, you know, Christian fundamentalists, audiences mm-hmm. and venues, they began to shun her yeah. after her divorce. I'm fine with that. So she was no Demon longer invited woman. to the. Sounds good. <laughs> so like this whole sort of like, again, you have decided that, oh, I'm a good Christian woman. I'm proper. Mm-hmm. But they don't look kindly on divorce. Like you're supposed nope. to suck it up, stay there no matter yeah. what's happening. And suck live it a up terrible and life, it. but be married. Yeah. yeah. So they started uh, not inviting her to speak. Uh, her appearances got canceled and she lost a major source of income from this. Mm. You know, also. Maybe she, maybe she barked up the wrong tree. I'm just saying. Okay. I mean, again, she fucked around and she eventually found out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now she also, uh, because of this, she had become the poster child for this. And again, when she became vulnerable, people who probably always wanted to say something suddenly started saying stuff. And so she became the object of ridicule. Um, once this sort of image of the model Christian spokeswoman, uh, turned the tide to self-righteous bigot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think she was a self-righteous bigot the whole time, but that's me. But she also had the support of like, there's a whole right. like, you know, um, support system. You're, you're going to speak at these churches, these mega churches, these venues. People are, yeah. are buying, you know, tickets to go and see you and fill out a 10,000. I don't know if it was that much, but, you know, 5,000 people coming been. to see you. Yeah. It might have been. These, no, these things are can be huge. I know yeah. I've been to some of them. It's a long story, but it didn't work. And I have not converted anyways. Yeah, but it's like they go on tour, basically, right? Yeah, no, yeah. And it, they, they go fill on stadiums. Tour. They fill yep. stadiums. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so once the, the, the divorce came through and like her her base began to turn on her and shun her, then she became fodder for the, light, uh, the late night uh, host, you know, Johnny Carson, who was hosting The Tonight Show and other talk yeah. show hosts and comedians. They all began to mock her openly and her actions to greater pub to the greater public. Uh, like I said, and then that became bad for business. So any of those endorsements that she may have had, whether it's with Florida orange juice or, or, or I don't know, craft or Tupperware or whomever, I'm not saying, uh, this is these places specifically, but she just, she, they basically just canceled her. She got yeah. canceled. Yeah. But she, she got canceled a, yeah. by her own. I'm good. Once she that. got a divorce, she got canceled by, Christian fundamentalist. Let me be clear. I think every woman obviously should get the divorce that they need, right? That's fine. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to decide that these people are worthwhile and those people are not, and I'm going to be such a dick about it that I'm going to change laws that will hurt people, then yeah, okay, I'm fine. You, sh- you know what? Like, I'm happy. 
that you're yep. suffering. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Like, yep. Maybe live she, by your own rules, girl. Okay? Well, I mean, again, it's, it, she basically was kind of getting some of the, she, again, she fucked around and found out. So, um, now after the divorce, uh, three of her four children, uh, with three of her four children, they moved from Miami to Selma, Alabama, and then later to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Uh, and it could be around this time, maybe because I don't know, it was a humbling experience being canceled by your own or after the dust settled. She seemed to take a less adamant, still bigot, big, yeah. uh, and, you know, but hard she, to de bigotify someone. Yeah. It wasn't really a, a reverse course, but cause she really believed this, I believe, but I'm sure. she just became less vocal about it. So in an article in, in an interview in ladies home journal in 1980, she said, quote, the church needs to wake up and find some way to cope with divorce and women's problems, end quote. Uh, she also or, expressed sympathy. While we're finding sympathy for other humans that live life, maybe not to certain levels of expectation, we can find empathy for other people. No, 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 no. I need empathy for my issues. Weren't we just talking about narcissism? Yeah. Huh. She also said of uh, her anti-gay view, she said, quote, I'm more inclined to say live and let live. Just don't flaunt it or try to legalize it, end quote. Bitch. Oh, fuck you. I hate her. Okay. I think I've said that a lot today. <laughs> now, about 10 years later, she remarried uh, to her second husband, Charlie Hobson Dry. But she was she already had a marriage under the eyes of God. How do you marry again? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, <laughs> you know. Interesting. My life says that I get have grace. Mm. They need to understand where I'm coming from. Uh, 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 okay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so throughout the 1990s, uh, so they spent their time in Branson, Missouri, where the uh, state and federal governments filed liens against them, claiming that they had over 116,000 in unpaid taxes. She just started having mm. legal and financial issues. Uh, she filed for uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy in Arkansas in 1997. Uh, and then because she, she tried to launch, you know, Anita Bryant show, different things. But it's just, you know, the bills and the financing just never quite worked out. So she that kind of dogged her throughout the 1990s. That feels good uh, to me. Go on. Now, in 2005, she returned to Barnstall, uh, Oklahoma, to attend the town's 100th anniversary celebration and to have a street renamed in her honor. Ew. As of 2008, she was living in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, and she was said to be doing charity work for various youth organizations while heading the Anita Bryant Ministries International. Okay, of course she started a church. Cool. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, so that's kind of like what we hear of her since 2008. But in 2021, in uh, 2021, Anita Bryant's granddaughter and daughter of Robert Green Jr., uh-huh. Sarah Green. So her granddaughter, yeah. Sarah Green, who's the daughter of Robert, um, uh, Nita's, uh, son, uh-huh. came out publicly as a lesbian on yes! a podcast. We are behind you on the parade, girl. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hey, grandma. Merry Christmas. Sorry. I don't know what just happened to me. Go on. <laughs> now on the podcast, Sarah, she, she talks about how she came out to her grandmother at 21. 
How did it go? I need to know everything. Well, basically, her grandmother was just like, "When are you going to find a young, uh, a nice young man like uh-huh. that? That kind of thing." And then right. she just blurted it out because uh, she came on the podcast to talk about how she was actually engaged at the time. Oh. Um, so, and she was just she was talking about how she wasn't sure she's going to invite her grandmother or not. Now, yeah. her father, Robert Green Jr., was also on the podcast, and he remembered. <laughs> He, re- he, he recalled the time when Sarah came out to his mother, her grandmother. Okay. And he says, quote, all at once, her eyes widened, her smile opened, and out came the oddest sound. Oh, he said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Whatever you hate shows up in your family. Yeah. I was like, that's four kids and you're going to have a lot of grandkids. Like, you're going to have... Like one trans kid, you're going to have like a few gay, like that's just like the percentage and numbers of how it works. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. It's just how, it, how that's what it is, you know? Oh, yep. Man. So um, now he, so <laughs> unfortunately at the time of the podcast interview, Sarah said that she wasn't sure um, if it had softened um uh, her heart and, and and Robert also agreed that you know he said instead of taking uh Sarah as she is uh my mom has chosen to pray that Sarah mm-hmm. will eventually mm-hmm. conform to my mom's idea of what God wants Sarah to be end quote um yeah, you know what it's you're gonna that's that's a great way to lose your family that's a great way to you know like the fact of the matter is Sarah knew she was a lesbian for years and years and years. What grandma, yeah. you can't get close to anybody and you're not going to be close to your family because you are not, you're not a safe person. And yeah. like number one rule, especially if you're um, in any sort of like any sort of marginalized person in this country, you need to surround yourself with safe people. That's, And, you know, Sarah would agree with you because, you know, she I'm going to end on this uh, about Anita Bryant because of her grandmother, Anita Bryant. She said, you know, on the podcast that she's still struggling. She was still at the time in 2021 struggling with her relationship with her grandmother ever since she came out. And she said, quote, it's very hard to argue with someone who thinks that an integral part of your identity is just an evil delusion. She wants a relationship with a person who doesn't exist because I'm not the yeah. person she wants me to be, end quote. Yeah. yeah. And I just think that that's like, that is karma. That is irony. Because again, everything you hate, if you're a white person, you hate black people, black people go to marry in your family. If you're a black person who hates white people, <laughs> white person go marry in your family. Mm-hmm. If you are a, you know, cis straight person uh, who hates non cis straight people, non straight people are gonna show up in your family like that's just how that next grandchild born trans you know like (laughs) if you hate jewish people (laughs) yep guess what your grandson's gonna fall in love with a jewish girl okay like that's gonna happen (laughs) you know it's gonna show up it's gonna show up in your family and i think that is just befitting she's sort of like she's still around uh, but, you mm. know, probably keeping a low profile. I, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if she's recently uh, peeked out her oh, head yeah. because now the the, you know, the anti um, trans anti anti trans specifically, they're specifically targeting yes. and uh, trans individuals in this country uh, and throughout the world. Uh, but it's also you start with one, then it goes out to, oh, just gay or just, mm-hmm. you know. 
And Ellie they gave Wiseau out the black and da da. Yeah. Wrote a damn poem. You guys read the damn poem. Answers yep. all of your questions and stops the hatred because at least you know you're going to be safe. Right? Nope. Like, even if people don't have empathy, they can at least try to protect themselves. I don't care. Whatever makes this place a better place, you know? Yeah, eventually they're going to make their way over to your kind. A hundred percent. Always. Eventually. And if you stand, if you stand around and bear witness and do nothing, then who's, it's like you said, it's the poem. Who's going to be around to advocate for you? you? Yeah. (laughs) No one. So Mm -mm. that is my notorious woman this week, Anita Bryant. You can go and look up all this stuff. Thank you so much for bringing her in. Her name was familiar. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I watched those commercials as a very small child because um, that sounded familiar, too. Yep. Yeah. So. Turns out she's a dick. Okay. I'll say it. <laughs> well, fine. who's your notorious woman this week for me? My notorious woman. Okay. So I kept, I, like, I, okay. Her name, let's just start and we can discuss. Her okay. name is Anne-Marie Schwarzenbach. Oh. So. You know how a notori- our notorious women are very clear cut. You know, they're heroic. They're horrific. This woman, I would just airs on heroic for sure. But how she is notorious to me is really how she lived her life. Okay. Essentially on her own terms. But also like, let's talk about it because there's other. I'm just going to start. Okay. 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 So. She was, it's, it's, she's fast. She's fast. She's a fascinating woman. And I feel like more people should know about her. And that's, you know, that's why she is here right now. So she was born in Zurich, Switzerland on May 23rd, 1908. Um, when she was four, her family moved to the Brocken estate in Horgen near Lake Zurich, where she grew up. Her father was a businessman in the silk industry. I have, I'm a British accent when I discuss her. <laughs> Her mother, Renee schwarzenbach Wille, daughter of the Swiss, I'll stop, of the Swiss general. Because all Europeans have British accents, whether I they're mean, English or not. You know that, right? I, I know that, obviously. Okay. I've seen the movies, movies. Lametta, So <laughs> I'm cultured. Okay. <laughs> um, she was the daughter of a Swiss, gen- Swiss general, Ulrich Wiel, probably. Uh, and descended from German aristocracy. She, her mother was a prominent hostess, Olympic equestrian sportswoman, and amateur photographer. So these people are like oh, rich, rich, like yeah, rich. Fancy. Like her grandfather's last name was Ulrich. Okay, like rich. <laughs> Richie rich. Richie rich. Like, <laughs> how much money do you want? I have all of it. Oh, thank you. Okay, oh so God. apparently her mother was bisexual. And her father tolerated it. This is what I read. But I assume that means she had lovers and daddy was okay with that. Okay. Okay. And okay. So from an early age, she began to dress and act like a boy. And this behavior was, was essentially encouraged by, by her mother mostly, but also her, her father was fine with it. And she stayed, um, dressing sort of androgynously her whole life. Mm. Uh, she later says that her mother brought her up as a boy. Um, oh. So, but, you know, we all know that there, there's a sort of a, a reality that hits people and they do where they're, they live in their comfort zone, right? So I, right. I, I don't know, 
right? I can't. I feel like she was comfortable in that. Well, let me ask this. So when they say androgynous, because sometimes you have to like, like translate (laughs) the old writings. Like, does it just mean she wore pants? (laughs) See, the thing is, if you look at a picture of her, she, she, people did mistake her for what she had a sort of a short male haircut the kind that I had for many years when I was in my early twenties. Yeah, is it like it was just flapper haircut? Like you're like, no, that's still it's a short hair, but like, yeah. But if she's and, growing up in a time where women had hair down their to their waist and wore like, right? You know, I mean, she was born in dresses. I mean, nineteen oh eight, but in the twenties, right? Yeah, that yeah. was. And I, I, I don't know, but she kept the style, right? Okay, okay. So that. Uh, yeah, right. I'll go on. So she obviously went to a private school in Zurich. Obviously, uh, she studied mainly German history and music, and she didn't study anything else because they're rich, rich. So she could afford not to. Mm. Um, she liked dancing. She was a piano player, but she really wanted to become a writer. So um, she ended up studying in Zurich and Paris, earning her doctorate in history at the University of Zurich at the age of 23. Mm. Um, now I don't know where doctorates easier to come by or I don't think a doctor has ever been easy to come by. I don't by. think so. Don't so think I'm guessing so. she was like next level genius. This is, this is where I'm like, unless at some point becoming a doctor was easy. No, I, I, that doesn't, I mean, I think you could, if you were a barber, remember back in the day, Victoria W barber and you become like a doctor or a butcher or whatever, but oh, no, like a doctorate. But no, from the getting, University of Zurich. Yeah, yeah. I think that's always been mm. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. That feels right. That feels, that feels better. Cause I was like, what? Cause I have yeah. friends who've gotten their PhDs and they're like 35 and crying a lot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very difficult thing. I think, yeah. Today. <laughs> exactly. Um, so while she was a student, she was, she has started writing. So shortly after she earned her PhD, she published her first novella called Freund um Bernard. So I don't think I said that right, but it means Bernard's circle and it was well received. So in 1930, she made contact with, um, a brother and a sister and brother named Erica and Klaus Mann, who they were Thomas Mann's children also fancy rich people. Um, She was fascinated by Erica's charm and self-confidence and they began a relationship. So that's what I'm saying. Like Anne-Marie was definitely a lesbian. Um, And I like, we'll never know like what, what she wanted to be, I think, but I, she, here's what I will say. The reason I'm fascinated by her is that she just kind of did what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So they had a relationship, uh, but Erica was not that into her. Right. <laughs> That's oh, what, okay. Yeah. Like she basically fell for another woman and they stayed friends, but they, they broke up. So she, and I, and I think she never really fully recovered from this breakup. Oh, but but she found, and this is how it was found, but this is how it was written. She, she found a soulmate in Klaus Mann, uh, Klaus, Erica's brother. And so she and Klaus became very, very close. Um, unfortunately, Klaus uh, was a drug user and he introduced her to a life of drugs. So this is like oh. the 30s Germany, right? They're... Um, 
and they're living a life in the decadent, artistic, yeah, wild and crazy Berlin. Towards the and they end. got money. And they, they got don't. money. They can do whatever they want. And and weren't they still putting cocaine and everything anyway? Everything. <laughs> okay. Everything. Where On top of the stop? actual cocaine, they were also in in taking. Right. <laughs> um. Okay. So I just think it's important. I I'm throwing this in there that like so Germany in the 30s, you guys was really progressive like the 20s yeah. especially it was open it was accepting yep. like watch cabaret it was real they had cabarets like that um yep. they had the villa was hirschfeld the... was was there like yes. yeah check it out yep. um do you know what else was happening in the 30s in germany that the first modern era gender affirming surgery yep. began at the institute of sexual research in berlin under the leadership of magnus hirschfeld so like Yep, a.k.a. Villa Hirschfeld. Yeah, Villa Hirschfeld, yeah. But like, yeah, exactly. Yep. I just, like, we cannot rest. I don't know. I keep hitting the hammer and the nail on the head. Um, They had a large pe- amount of people, a large majority of people that liked this. But in 1933, uh, the far right won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they had to retract what was once a shining example of human liberation. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was those are my words, by the way. I'm proud of that. It's also a testament to like, just you can't. You have to continue to be vigilant, even when yes. you're like, oh, we have rights. We have rights. Like it's like, yeah, people it can, can take all those rights go away like La- really quickly. Laws are 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 variable. They just are. Yeah. And they only they're only worthwhile until they're supported. Like yep. I, I look at everything that's happening in Florida right now and I'm like, don't we have a civil rights? Don't we have civil like it aren't there arguments against everything that's happening? Well, if they're not being upheld, then they're not being upheld. They're not exactly. So exactly. So I want to sue everybody, but I guess I can't afford to do that. That's me. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> I wrote something funny, I'm gonna say it. So basically my point is that in Germany, there were two sides, one side that believed that all humans should have a right to exist and thrive. And the other wanted to make Germany great again. Okay. Yeah. I said it. I'll say yep. it again. Um, so she lived a wild and crazy life. Uh, and she was fascinated that ev- people loved her. Uh, her beauty fascinated men and women. In 1932, she went uh, planned a car trip to Persia with both Klaus and Erica and a friend, artist Ricky Halgarten. Now, ultimately, before they left, Ricky, uh, who was suffering from depression, shot himself, which was oh, the no. first time she dealt with death and was sort of awoken to this wild possibility, right? Um, when the Nazis took over in 1933, uh, tensions with her family happened because her family was like, no, 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 let's go make nice with Nazi Germany and help them reconstruct our country. You know, you make cannot, it great again. You cannot reason with hate. No, you can't. And, and she knew that. She, I, I don't get, I don't, I'm not getting that she argued with her parents. She just was like, fuck no. And, um, 
and and went off to go help them. So her her circle was filled with Jew with Jewish people with um, anti fascism. She was always mm-hmm. fighting for that. So um, she helped finance because she had money, right? She helped right. finance an anti fascist literary review, Die Sammlung. I don't know what that means, which helped writers in exile from Germany by publishing their articles and short stories. Um. Unfortunately, this pressure that she felt led her to attempt suicide, did Aww. not succeed, caused a scandal among her family because, like, why not just become a Nazi? What's the problem? <laughs> so um, she ended up traveling a lot with Klaus. She went to Italy, France, Scandinavia. Um, she traveled with a photographer, Marianne Breslauer, to Spain to carry out a report in the Pyrenees. So she was writing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marianne was fascinated by her. She, a quote from Marianne. She was neither a man nor a woman, but an angel, an archangel. And she had made a portrait of her. Um, she went with Klaus to the Soviet Writers Union Congress in Moscow, which was his most prolific and successful period as a writer. Um, and she then suggested that they marry because he was bisexual and she was homosexual. So she was she she was like this will make things a little easier but he he did not want to do that i don't know what he ended up i think he actually ended up marrying a woman that mm. could, you know i don't know the whole story of that um but she did she returned to persia in 1935 and she got married to french diplomat achille claude clara and he was gay so they'd known each other a few weeks um, and he, I mean, I think, you know, it was easier for everybody. Uh, and yeah, it, the, la- yeah, I'm sorry. It's like the Go protection ahead. of marriage for women. Yeah. You know, you get people off your back. <laughs> right. In, yeah, you, you got like, like, you get a higher status in society, yeah, exactly. which I still think kind of exists. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, terrible. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you're a married woman. Really? But like men can kind of do what they want. Uh, oh, always. He's always. a bachelor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but she knew what to do because he was a French diplomat. So that made her obtain a French diplomatic passport. And oh. then, right? So, girl, like, if you got to get married to a man, marry a French diplomat. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I'm proud of her. Okay. That's good advice. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm here for advice. Um, And so she could go anywhere. So they lived in Tehran, but then they ended up going to the countryside to escape the summer heat. And then she unfortunately got very lonely and ended up addicted to morphine. Now, Oh, no, sweetie. She had used it like anything Eugene O'Neill will tell you that morphine was like a go-to for anything, right? Mm-hmm. You have a headache, have some morphine. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not you're not feeling so good for a moment, morphine. Yep. Um, but this time she got addicted. Um, so then that's why we're just gonna talk about her life. Cause she just she went to Switzerland for a holiday, and then on the way she went through Russia and the Balkans by car. So she had an interest in the career of Lorenz Salad. Saladin, 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 I don't know. 
He was a Swiss mountain climber and photographer, and he had scaled some of the most difficult peaks in the world and had just died on the Russian-Chinese border. So, right? So she essentially recognized his greatness and was fascinated by his fearlessness, which is funny because I'm fascinated by her fearlessness. Um, So when she was in Moscow, she she was able to grab some of his films and diaries and took them to Switzerland with the intention of writing a book. But then she got home and was like, wait, I don't want to be alone again. So this is like, this is me with money. Okay. I would do the same thing. So she rented a house in a beautiful part of Switzerland and became it be, and this house became a refuge for herself and her friends. So this is what I would do. We were talking earlier, like if you want to be alone, like I would get a house, I would have like two days alone and then all my friends would come. It would be great. And then off they would go and it would be my huge house, my villa. See, I would do four days by myself. I know. (laughs) I only could do two. I could only do two. But then again, a villa, see a villa is different because you have space So people around all the time is fine. They're just in their own space. So that's actually different. If I have a villa, then they can be there the whole time. But leave me the hell alone in the mornings. I'm such a diva, I swear. You really are. And I'm going to be like, Lavetta, I'm here. And you'll be like, stop it, Miriam. No, but like when I come out, we can have (laughs) lunch together. And then I can go back into my chambers, darling. My chambers. I will be in a Swiss lake. I'll be back. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, um, villa's different. You can have yeah, people around okay, all the time. It's okay. different. Yeah. All right. So when I knock on your villa door, you'll be like, it's fine. Yeah. Here's fine. your wing. It's fine. Ex- I'll see exactly. you tomorrow. Yeah. See, now you know what I'm talking about. Okay. I see it exactly. now. Yep. I see it now. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is where she wrote her most successful book entitled Lorenz Saladin. See? She wrote her <laughs> most successful book in a fucking villa. My point. Okay. Point, Lavetta. Mm. All right. I hear you. Okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> yep. I'll think about it. All right. Uh, the name of the book was like Ein Leben für die Berg. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that was not terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, I cannot confirm. It was called A Life for the Mountains. Okay. Okay. And in 1937 and 38, going back a little, her photographs documented the rise of fascism in Europe. She visited Austria and Czechoslovakia. She took her first trip to the U.S. when she was accompanied when she uh, she was accompanied by her American friend Barbara Hamilton Wright, who's uh, a photographer, and they drove up the East Coast up through to Maine. They traveled to the Deep South and to the coal basins of the industrial regions around Pittsburgh. Her photographs documented the lives of the poor and downtrodden in these regions. So in June 1939, in an effort to combat her drug addiction um, and escape what was obviously a dangerous situation in Europe, she went to Afghanistan with the ethnologist Ella Mayart. They were in Mm. Kabul when World War II broke out. Wow. So in Afghanistan, she became ill with bronchitis and other issues. Um, but she still traveled to Turkestan. And then in Kabul, uh, they split up because Mayart realized that weaning her friend away from her drug addiction was not happening. Mm. So all of this time, she's still battling 
her drug addiction. Um, so, and my art describes her in her book, the cruel way, 1947, and is, dedicated to Christina, which was the name she used for Anne-Marie. So she, um, and they think they, she changed it because her mother insisted that she changed her name. Mm. Um, and the book is made into a movie called the journey to Kafiristan in 2001. Uh, there's rumor that she had affairs with the Turkish ambassador's daughter who was, uh, at the time suffering from tuberculosis and was also an archaeologist. Oh. I know, right? Um, and she had had a lot of affairs through the years. I, I don't think she ever had any one, any one long relationship that I, that I could find other than Erica. Was she, was she still married to the French diplomat? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it seemed like a marriage of convenience. Yeah. Okay. And I think they were friends. I think they were close. But yeah. that was, it was definitely like, we're married. Okay, bye. Yeah. Okay. Um, so after Afghanistan, she went back to the USA where she met with Erica and Klaus again. Um, and they worked with a committee to help refugees from Europe. Um, when Erica left, however, to move back to London, Anne Marie became disillusioned with her life in the USA. I think Anne Marie never, never really got over her. Mm. That's my romantic view of life. Yeah. Um, so another complication entered her life when in a hotel, she met the up and coming 23 year old writer, Carson McCullers, you know, her Carson McCullers. Yeah. Very famous American author. I can't, Oh my God. I can't rem- I've read her work and I can't I, like Google her. Oh God, you guys hashtag not historians, <laughs> um, but brilliant writer. And Carson fell madly in love with her. She, Carson writes, she had a face that I knew would haunt me for the rest of my life. But Anne-Marie did not reciprocate said love and Carson McCullers was devastated. So it's very sad. Ever, no one's like, no one's connect. You know what I mean? Like, it's just unrequited love all oof. around. Unrequited love is so hard. Ugh. Mm. Um, and so Anne-Marie actually ultimately had to avoid her because it was awkward. I guess, but they stayed friends and they actually ended up conducting a long and like relatively tender correspondence, mostly about literature, oh, <laughs> which is like okay. lovely. Um, she was also meanwhile involved in a difficult relationship with the wife of a wealthy man, Baronessa Margot von Opel. I mean, these oh people these run names. in the, the moneyest of circles. I mean, <laughs> that does sound rich. You know, no, that sounds I mean, wealthy. Yeah, 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 wealthy. You and I could only ever be rich. We could never be wealthy exactly. with like a guttural. <laughs> I'm wealthy. No, no, I think it's too late. We weren't born in the right place and <laughs> the right time. I think. Um. So, but she was again. The heart wants what it wants. I don't think she was over Erica. Um, so this contributed to another bout of depression and another suicide attempt, which saw her hospitalized this time. And it was, she was only released on the condition that she leave the USA. Okay, America. Yeah. That feels right. It tracks, doesn't it? Yep. 
Yeah. What's America. our concern? That you're not my problem. That's my concern. Okay. Cool, cool. So in March 1941, she was back in Switzerland, but then immediately went to the Free French in the Belgian Congo as a journalist and accredited, right? She spent time there, but was prevented from taking up her position. So June 1942 in Tetuan, Morocco, she met up again with her husband, Claude, before returning to Switzerland. And then at this point, she started to make new plans. She applied for a position as a correspondent for a Swiss newspaper in Lisbon. I'm guessing she was trying to clean herself up a little bit. And then on September 7th, 1942, uh, in, in Engadin, Engadin, in the Swiss Alps, she fell from her bicycle and sustained a serious head injury. Oh, no. And there was a mistaken diagnosis in the clinic where she was treated and died on November 15th. No. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, her mother, while she was ill, refused to allow Claude, who's like technically her husband, uh, or any of her friends to visit her sickbed. And then after she died, her mother destroyed all her letters and diaries. Why? Well, remember, they liked the Nazis. And she was an anti-fascist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she had a friend who took care of her writings and photographs, which were then later archived in the Swiss literary, literary archives in Bern. And it's so weird, just like, because her mother was outwardly, like, Living her life a, a as a bisexual, bisexual. woman. Yeah. But when it came down to, you Because, know. you know, us ultimately like white supremacy, you know, yeah. smells real nice. Yep. You know, smells like I can keep my privilege. Mm. Right? Good point. Good point. Right? Yep. Didn't we see Sound of Music? <laughs> right? It all goes You want to walk over the mountains or do you want to keep your villa? Right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. They chose correctly. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, so she she was addicted to morphine for much of the final decade of her life. She was intermittently under psychiatric treatment. She suffered from depression. Um, she blamed her relationship with her mother. I probably, you know, who knows now? She probably needed actual mental health care. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I would imagine like as well off as they are of that class, it's like it's kind of like, oh, we we don't have those problems. That's problems of poor people. Right. Which makes it oh so much worse. Yeah. Because they actually have the resources and the finances to right. get actual help. To act, yeah. get actual help. And she tried. But but also the science wasn't I, yeah. I have to say I, it really wasn't there. That's true. Um, If you ended up getting addicted to drugs, if you had emotional they they'd lock you away you know like yeah but she yeah. was probably rich enough where they wouldn't lock her away she had enough friends in high places right um so despite all of that she ended up she she had her books that she um published but between 1933 and 1942 she produced 365 articles and 50 photo reports for swiss german and some american newspapers and magazines so she was pretty prolific you know, in a, in a, in a, unfortunately too short of a life, much too short. Yeah, too much too short. That's so sad. 
I know, I know. But I that I was like, I have to we have to talk about her. Yeah. That's it's also like it's interesting, like you know, I always joke that money solves a lot of problems. It doesn't solve all your problems, but I mean you can, you know, it can't solve drug addiction you know right. <laughs> or fascism nope. you nope, know around nope. you Mm-mm. uh but it's a shame when people aren't able to use those resources to get the actual help that they need you yeah know, uh, i'm 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 sort of fascinated by the fact that she held on to who she who she is you know who she was she managed to live quite a beautiful life despite being you know, so out of what was considered the norm in in her society. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love that she was like, no, bitch, I'm anti-fascist, so I'm going to go now. Yeah, that's so, it's, wow, she is very fascinating. Right. You know, like, she stood up against tyranny and, and fascism, Um and but it's also that thing that like your family around you is not like they're part of the problem. Yep. yep. And when you die, it's so weird that her mother wouldn't even let her husband see her. Like that's so I, weird. I like, think her mother was probably next level controlling. Mm. Um and I mean I you know, you gotta wonder it's nineteen forty two. We're still going. Right yeah, around that's them. That's right. That's right. And she has chosen her side. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it could be out of protection. Her mother's uh, getting yeah. rid of all of that to protect their place within the, the fascism and the, the Nazi world right. to protect yeah. them as well. And, you know, to protect the family, you know. Uh, but yeah, 42. Yeah. They're right in the middle of it. Yep. That's crazy. It breaks my heart that she died before the war ended. Yeah. Oh, you that know. is that's very sad. But she is fascinating. Thank you right? for sharing her with us. Like, can you say her name again? Because I want to, uh, especially the spelling of the last name, because people probably want to look her up. Schwarzenbach. Um, her name is Anne Marie. I mean, Schwarzenbach. Schwartz. Schwartz. Um, Bach. very this very german oh that's so cool so we had two a's today one yes one is definitely more heroic uh Uh and then uh, one is uh, problematic as fuck she can suck it what i just i wrote a song what no yeah it's a song i wrote little ditty yeah little ditty um well guys that wraps it up for this episode of notorious women podcast uh remember to follow us on all the things subscribe uh we also share us with your friends and family and your loved ones just copy the link uh-huh. and send it to them don't just tell them about it just copy like send it and send it yeah. yeah or you guys don't even tell them just it. send it they're gonna love it <laughs> yeah like you know who's gonna love it and who's not gonna love actually, it. actually yeah like pick and choose it's yeah, fine yeah so uh share that with them and also we want to thank our listeners we really really appreciate all the downloads all the love yeah uh, also remember you can give us a five-star review in the apple store that helps people yes. find us please please do that five stars you can also like write a review but if you're like i ain't got no time for no writing no reviews we'll take the five stars just hit five stars yeah that's like yeah it takes like uh half a minute half a second 
Half a second. Yeah. Half a second. Uh, <laughs> you can also support us on patreon.com if you want to give us a little moolah. Uh, that is patreon.com slash notorious women. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash notorious women. And Miriam's going to tell you other ways you can help out and find us. Yes. So we have an Instagram that's so much fun. Come follow us. Um, I love it. I think it's a good time. So our Instagram is super, super simple. It's Notorious Women Podcast. You can DM us on that, but you can also email us if you have a longer thing to share, which is um, notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. And that that is that. Yeah. Send us your thoughts, your ideas. And like, you know, you can like argue the bad people sometimes <laughs> the bad people find our instagram and they say things that are bad so you know i mean yeah. i argue back too right lavetta we, we yeah kinda... yeah trolls man i tell you trolls yeah trolls are bored man. they need hobbies <laughs> <laughs> no they would die in the room alone because they uh, have no one to troll Oh, yeah. Oh, no, they could not. They would explode. And I'm good with that. Honestly, that's fine for me. (laughs) On that note, we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.